Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of How the Grades Do It. Super excited for our guest today, man. We have Dan Zurich, Ted of Sales for Science.io. And Dan, appreciate you jumping on with us. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Excited to be here. Absolutely, man. Okay, tell us what you're up to at Science.io, and then we'll kind of just jump into your background and kind of what we're going to talk about today. Sure, sounds good. So we are building a large language model specifically for healthcare and biomedical science data. We've trained it on one of the largest data sets out there, and it's our own proprietary model. So we've been building uh, AI before AI was sexy and cool. Uh, we've been at it now for about three and a half, four years, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been quite a journey. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it, I know AI being one of those big old buzzwords right now with the, with the coming of ChatGPT chat and all the um, comings there, like, has that somewhat helped your business out at all? Or um, has that somewhat kind of hindered it a bit? It has. It's actually, it's been a great tailwind for us to be able to ride. Um, I think before people were a little bit more uh, skeptical around what AI could do for their business. Folks yeah. knew that they needed to have some type of AI strategy in place. But I think now that OpenAI has really uh, democratized access to users and given people the ability to test out and play around with ChatGPT, uh, it's really helped people to see what's possible. And so now folks are, are looking to build their own model and they're looking to uh, they're looking for tools to be able to, to construct and, and leverage their, their own data set. Uh, to build their own chat GPT. And so that's really given us a lot of, uh, a lot of attention and it's been, it's been fun. I love that, man. How did you get into sales? I'm curious to know. Yeah. Uh, great question. <laughs> so been in sales now for almost 15 years, which is quite crazy to, to say. Um, I've always been a, a competitive athlete. I played division one baseball in college. And so uh, naturally, I, I went into one of the most competitive fields out there, that being sales, where I feel like you're always competing with, uh, you always have a scoreboard and you're always competing with other folks. Um, and I enjoy that. I think that for me, that's really what uh, has always been a nice like passion and, and driver is, is having a, a scoreboard that you can constantly hold yourself accountable to and continue to get better by. Um, and so, yeah, my... My first role in sales started out at uh, AT&T, and this was when AT&T was competing with AWS. Uh, AWS had just launched, and so we were literally providing like cloud storage, cloud computing. Um, I think maybe and... you were on the wrong side of that battle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's one of the best things, too. I mean, I feel like you learn a lot from your failures. Uh, sometimes you learn almost more from your failures than you do from your successes. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of times at that point, right, like you could have took that as a, as a complete and said, hey, you know, I'm not selling against AWS. And said, I'm a horrible salesperson and then leave sales completely. But um, sometimes it isn't, isn't maybe you, maybe it's the product you're selling and hopefully that's not the case, right? Because you're, you know, um, but I think maybe there was a clear winner there in that case. Yeah. But yeah, maybe it could have played exactly. out different. Totally. Yeah, it could have played out a little bit different. I think that like, you know, one of the things you really learn early on too, especially when you're selling a much more expensive product uh, that ended up getting commoditized out 
was really how to sell based on value and how to build strong relationships yeah. with your customers. And so you, you cut your teeth early and you really learn those lessons the hard way. Yeah. And is there a, a specific um, a way that you go about doing that consistently or um, and now like coaching your team to do, or is that like somewhat of a methodology that's evolved over time? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. And um, one of the things that uh, especially I, I make sure like our team uh, does throughout our organization is establishing value early on, right? And especially when folks are, are looking at salespeople to be that trusted advisor and to really help them navigate a buying decision they are yeah. looking for you to really be the expert in the field and to provide them with a point of view on the market and specifically to highlight where is your differentiated approach to how your product is solving their need um, and how is that different from everyone else out there. Um, and I see that um, a lot of times where salespeople, uh, you know, they're almost like afraid to talk about their competition. Um, because they don't want to introduce additional risk into deal cycles. They don't want to bring up other uh, solutions that your potential prospect or customer should evaluate. But if you're confident yeah. about your solution and you're really helping them to navigate the buying process and the buyer journey, you want to at least bring up how you're different. All right. I mean, there is so much more education that you can do now before you talk to a rep. Um, and you got to expect that the buyer is educated and they're going to go out there and they're going to do their research online and they're going to search out your competitors. And so if you don't talk about them, if you don't talk about how you're solving the problem in a differentiated way, right, you're not going to build trust with them. Should, should you assume that your customer has already done research before you've had a first, com first conversation with them? A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and what I percentage think of the time is that? Do you think, right? Is that you think it's 100% you should just assume that they've done somewhat research? Yeah. I mean, I would say 95 to 100% of the time, folks are Googling. They're, they're searching. And yeah. if, you're not, if you're not helping them along that journey and they don't feel like they're moving forward with checking the boxes and going about their evaluation, they're going to go somewhere else, right? If they feel like they're spinning their wheels, they're going to quickly 100%. cancel any conversations they're having, they're going to move on, right? And so you, you have to assume that they are very well-versed. They're very well-educated. You know, you might have come in through like a, a referral or a friend, or there could have been some type of um, content that they saw out there. But for the most part, folks are Googling. They're typing in your name versus XYZ, and they're lining up things. And they're, they're trying to understand, you know, where is, um, where is your differentiated value? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, is there ways that you've found to be the most successful at providing value really early on in the process? Um, especially assuming that they've done, you know, the one thing that impresses me is that you're assuming that they've already done research, right? Like, because I think a lot, a lot of people assume that they, they don't, right? And it's part of their uh, discovery process to take them to this huge learning part. And it's like, hey, most people don't want to do this. And I think that's the friction around some of the friction around discovery. It's like, hey, just show me your product. Show me what your product can do. It's difficult to do that until you can have really thoughtful discovery. And the only way you're going to be able to do that, I think, in today's market is have really value at the beginning. 
the process, right? Exactly what you're saying. And so are there some ways that you're doing that uh, to help provide value early on or? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the ways that, uh, you know, I've seen reps be successful and one of the ways that I've found to be successful is following a, a similar framework to the challenger sale where you're, you know, upfront, you're providing insight into the market. So you're sharing basically your point of view on the market, where the market is going and how you're addressing those potential areas of opportunity. Um, and that insight is key, right? So that's really where you have a, a hot take on the market, where it's going, yeah. where you're going to need to be able to solve for in the next five to 10 years and how your business is addressing that. Um, and if that, if that hot take doesn't line up with how they're also viewing the opportunity, right? Or they don't see that as something that is uh, lining up with their values, then they're immediately going to write you off. Um, yeah. But having some type of perspective, right? And having an opinion is super important to, to really building trust and to showing that like you care about this, right? This is something that you are, your business has invested in. You are, um, you know, you're, you're aligning resources around and you're going to help them become successful uh, yeah. and through this differentiated approach. No, I love that, right? And I think ultimately, if you go about it that way, and it doesn't resonate with your customer, then you weren't going to sell to them anyways, right? They probably right. weren't the best fit for your product. They were probably a better fit for someone else ultimately at the end of the day. And um, when you stay consult consultative in the way that you're saying, right, it ultimately, I think, helps you stay true to your product and make sure that people are being sold the right thing 100% of the time. Exactly. Yeah. Any philosophy there is around, um, like, you know, especially building building partnerships at the beginning, right? I think that's, we've talked about that. But, like, what about as you're going through the process and you're um, maybe towards that negotiation side, like, what are you advising your reps to um, and how to, like, build better relationships with their clients and their prospective clients? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that folks forget, especially younger sales reps, is that the people that they're selling to, are uh are humans right first and foremost yeah. right everyone has a personal life and really understanding what motivates them what are they ranked on how are they going to be much more successful at their job right what is it that they're struggling with what do they need to improve at to be successful and to ultimately get promoted um, yeah. and so really understanding that from that lens uh, and and really taking a more of a personal approach to building relationships with customers and turning them into partners as opposed to trying to sell to them and it being a transactional sale. Because ultimately, these are folks that you are building your network with, right? These are folks that are going to, you might sell to one time, uh, but eventually they're going to move on to another company. And yeah. potentially, you're going to have the opportunity to sell to them again. And so you really have to think about this as more of a long-term approach to building out your network uh, and your career within sales so that uh, you take a more sustainable approach to building these relationships. And so the first thing I coach my reps on doing is, is really, one, building that personal relationship, understanding what motivates that person, what makes them tick, and how are they ranked yeah. in their position. So. That's, that's first and foremost. The second is um, figuring out ways that 
you can help them navigate the, the buyer journey. And I think we started to talk about this in the beginning, but it's really understanding and mapping out all the different steps within that buyer journey. And so you're getting an upfront commitment from them around what is required to be able to build a successful partnership. Um, and this is really building this mutual action plan uh, where you're holding not only yourself accountable, but them. And so there is clear check-ins, there's clear milestones along the way that you are working through and working towards in order to build that successful partnership. And then last but not least, I would say, um, you know, tying everything back to the corporate mission and the business goals is going to ultimately help you win the deal because that's really where you're going to be able to um, highlight the value that you're providing and disseminate that across the organization so that it resonates with the C leadership all the way down to the engineers and the builders. Yep, absolutely. I love that. Um, man, it, it, I'd love to hear about if you've been hit with any kind of setbacks through your career that's, that's helped shape this mentality that you have just around like customer, um, like the customer journey. Like, is there something that happened in a bad way, maybe, or maybe in a good way that that's really helped this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say that some of the best lessons I've learned are when you are head to head with competitors and competition, because that's yeah. really where you understand what it is you need to do to get a deal done. And it brings out the best and worst in people. Um, and you can quickly see how motivated competitors are to win or lose deals. I remember early on in my career, um, um, at M Particle, uh, which was my last startup, we, this was when I was a rep, and uh, we were competing head-to-head with another competitor uh, for the business at Disney. And the competitor ended up getting selected. However, they got pretty lazy through the negotiation process of going through legal. And I remember staying in contact with my, with my POC, with my, with my contact there that I had built a pretty strong yeah. relationship with. And he tipped me off. He was like, look, these guys are not willing to flex. They're not willing to accommodate our needs. They're not willing to really come to the negotiation table. And so, you know, I just stayed on it. I continued to reach back out then to the procurement team and to the business side. And quickly, I was able to really understand and also overcome some of those challenges and objections that the competitor had uh, essentially fumbled on. And, yeah. you know, through that, through that process, you know, I, I feel like, especially with that deal, like I learned so much because, it, you know, folks can easily throw up their hands when they, when they think they lose the deal and just walk away and, you know, Absolutely. and hang up the towel and think that everything's over, but sales never ends. I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're always selling and, you know, staying in contact with these folks that you are building relationships with. Again, it's not a transactional sale. This is a relationship game. This is a game that you're going to yeah. continue to play for the rest of your life. And, you know, to think about it in a way where you're, con you're constantly looking for angles and ways to improve. That that's ultimately what you want to focus on, and so I think for me that was a, a really great lesson where 
it kind of reinforced some of my behavior, but it helped me to understand that the deal is never done, right? Even when yeah. you think you won the deal, too, from the c- competitor's perspective, like they, they thought that they had completely closed this multi-million dollar contract. Uh, and ultimately, yeah. they fumbled and they, they ended up losing the deal. And we were able to win it um, and come in. So that was a, a great lesson, I think, early in my career that um, just helped to reinforce and solidify behaviors where you really need to stay committed to the process. Yeah, and, and as you like look for reps that um with that same sort of same sort of mentality, like are there certain qualities that you look for so that they can connect in that sense? Like they're able to overcome a lot of those objections that are thrown at them and um and have that ability to provide value, especially really early in the process. Totally. I mean the reps that I like to to work with and hire are definitely folks that have that DNA of this athletic background where they've experienced yeah. adversity in their lives and they've had to overcome it. Um, you know, I think that folks that have had things handed to them or have, have never really had an opportunity where they had to struggle are, are really hard to coach. Um, because what, what I find is that they, they are quick to move on and yeah. aren't necessarily looking at uh, ways to improve. And so I think that folks that really take more of, they have more of an ability to be coached and are willing to really learn through a lot of their mistakes and, 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 and focus on ways to improve are ones that are going to get better. And typically I see that in athletes, right? Where, the, it, yeah. you know, very few times you see folks that are just natural athletes. Most of the time people really have to work at a sport, right? That's why you have, that's why it's called practice, right? <laughs> you show up, practice, you got to work on the sport day in and day out. And you know, there's this beginner's mindset, right? Where most folks take to to learning a new sport and you just understand that you're going to have to struggle at it to get better, but you have to put in the reps and you have to put in the time to really get better. And so I love working with folks that are uh, former athletes uh, that are competitive and that want to get better. Because ultimately that's what it is. You're constantly looking for ways to get improved over time and and improve your craft. Yeah. And do you think that they always have, like as a salesperson, right, or even as a as a sales leader, like do we always have to have the amount of continuous learning, or do you think there's a, a point where you know you're just like, hey, you've got it down, um, you know, you, you're at the top of your craft, you don't, you're good, right? just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, look, I was at the Lakers game last night watching LeBron. <laughs> this guy is literally at the top of his game. But he's still going out there and practicing his shots before the game. He's not just walking right onto the court. He's still dribbling. He's still working at his craft day in and day out. I mean, even look at like Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods had a swing coach. He still does, right? Uh, You know, there's, you know, folks at the top, top level still have coaches, mentors, and they have folks that are helping them to continually get better. Because that's one of the things is that, especially if you look at, athletes is that they are so committed to getting better at the sport that it's never like an end result that they're looking to achieve it's just becoming better and better every day and that's really what they're addicted to that's what they that's what they crave yeah no that totally makes sense i'm going to switch gears with you i'm, I'm going to kind of bring around talking technology like are there any tools that you found to help your sales reps um help build the relationships better or 
Um, something out there to help stay on top of news. Like, what are you guys doing to um, help kind of flourish that and make it easier for the reps? There are so many great tools out there, especially today, um, that are helping reps to become much more successful with their outreach. Um, one of the tools that I love that I've become a huge user of is Apollo, Apollo IO. Um, mm-hmm. It is an incredible platform from a data perspective. The power that they have to be able to run some of the plays, run some of the sequences, their enrichment capabilities are just incredible. And so being able to build a market, a target list, and be able to quickly execute upon campaigns, I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of that. Um, I'm a big fan of Clearbit. Clearbit actually was just recently acquired by HubSpot. I'm good friends with some of the co-founders there. They have an incredible tool which provides insight into the folks that are visiting your website and just having some of that level of intent data so that uh, you're reaching out to folks that are warm leads as opposed to cold leads. Um, That's a huge, huge game changer, especially for reps earlier on that are looking for a way to be able to quickly engage with warm leads. Um, yeah, there's a bunch. I mean, I can yeah. keep going on there, and on, but I think that the bunch, data but, ones are. Yeah, I think there's a bunch, but I think the two that you gave are, are pretty solid, uh, are, are pretty solid. Uh, and so, some good examples of ways that they can, other companies can help kind of build relationships in the same way. Dan, I'd love to understand a little bit more about like how your team is building partnerships and like, you know, uh, are there certain things that they're focusing on when they're when they're reaching out to maybe build out um, new partnerships with companies? Yeah, when it comes to building partnerships, I think again this is um, an area that you want to take more of a long term strategy approach. Um, yeah, but when it when it comes to building partnerships, it's really understanding what is the mutual beneficial aspects of that partnership that are going to be unlocked. Um, and typically it can be a win-win for both, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, and the way that I like to structure partnerships is getting a better sense of some of the areas of their business that they're looking to grow. Um, and so when you think about like one of the, uh, big partners that we recently just launched with has a, they're a big cloud provider. Uh, they have a, a need for folks to be able to leverage existing data credits that they have to be able to um, further enrich their data. And they're thinking about ways to be able to provide more value to their existing customer set. And because of that, they are essentially starting to build out this app store uh, that is providing additional functionality to their customers where their data doesn't ever have to leave their cloud. And so essentially they're able to provide more, uh, more ways to leverage their data in a more robust way that stays all within their specific container or within their environment. And so sure. once we understood that with this big cloud provider, we were able to quickly say, and we were able to quickly build a partnership where we were able to deploy our technology within their environment so that the data never had to leave their cloud. And so all of the compute credits and all of the resources that were required to process the data 
stayed contained within their environment. And that was a huge win. That was a huge unlock for them because they were then able to offer us as an added benefit to their existing customers. And so all of their sales reps were now, they now had another reason to reach back out to their to their existing customer set and said, hey, you guys already have some of these compute credits. You already have the ability to process um, large amounts of data within our environment. Why not leverage this new partnership that we recently constructed? And so when you start to think about things like that and you start to start to look at ways where the partners are looking to uh, further some of their strategic initiatives and specifically this was, hey, how can we get our customers to do more compute within our existing environment, we were able to yeah. then quickly build a partnership around that. And then some of the more tactical things that we were able to do is that we were able to line up our CRM with their CRM using a tool called Crossbeam. And Crossbeam enabled us to be able to quickly share accounts, contacts, opportunities, and then we could align our sales team with their sales team. And so they could start to share notes and they start, could start to collaborate on or around accounts where we knew that there was already an opportunity to be able to process some of the existing data that they had within their environment. And they were looking to essentially further do more with their data. Uh, yeah. So those are some of the fun ways that, that we've seen to really like unlock some of these partnerships. What, what do you, have you found like a... a... Is it a transaction number? Like, when should companies think about, especially early in the startup phase, like when they should go out and find other partners um, similar to that? Uh, is there like a time period or is it a revenue number? Like, what do you think here? It's such a great question. And I think that what we found is that there's no perfect time period, but the earlier on that you can start to explore some of these partnerships, the better. Um, sure. Specifically because these partners are typically going to be much larger enterprises and they're going to force you to to grow up and to mature as an organization where you'll have to go through a lot of the uh, legal privacy and regulatory approval process to be able to be an official partner of some of these larger cloud providers. And so I think that, yeah. you know, especially early on at an early stage startup, when you're still trying to go from zero to one, it, you know, it, it'll help you mature as an organization. But I think that one of the things you have to uh, do is, is, again, take a long-term approach to working with these partners where you can't expect them to deliver revenue early on, right? This yeah. is something that's going to deliver most likely in like one, two, or even three years from now. And the reason why is because these partnerships take a, a lot to really get off the ground, and they require a lot of training and enablement to be able to come into Absolutely. some of these larger organizations and train their entire organization. And then you have to work with the compensation org and align compensations and incentives with the sales team and so that there is structure in place that are incentivizing the reps to resell your product or to be able to, to sell their product to some of their existing customer base. Because if those incentives aren't aligned, um, sometimes that's really where partnerships can, can fall short. Um, yeah. And so... Typically, like you want to at least have a better sense of what that potential commitment could be from the partnership and making sure that you have some type of on, upfront contract or commitment from them. Um, but again, going back to your question, I think around timing of when to work on yeah, some no, of those that, larger that totally partnerships. makes sense. And what about like more on the back end of things, like as the partnership is set up and um, like how often are you like revisiting the partnership or like, oh, 
at what point should you then create a team to like help support the partnership and and the enablement of that? Yeah, such a great question. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that, especially with partnerships, you want to make sure that everyone is aligned, that you have clear alignment between not only the executives, but the marketing team, the product marketing team, the engineering, the customer success, as well as the sales. There has to be dotted lines between each part of these different organizations because there needs to be clear accountability between who you should be working with and what are those next steps. And so I think that there needs to be at least a quarterly check-in with these partnerships to really assess how they're performing and how they're doing. And this needs to be done from the executive level. Um, And then you start to think about ways to be able to track and manage the health and success of this this partnership. Um, And so really putting some types of KPIs in place. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's never too... Go ahead. No, no. I was just only going to ask about the KPIs. Like, are there other any indi- indicating in um, data points that you're looking at to say, hey, how are we measuring this, or is it really based off the KPIs that you put in place um, when the partnership first, you know, obviously goes initial initially live? Yeah, I think initially, you know, everyone obviously wants to focus on like revenue and. Uh, dollars um, that have been influenced or sourced from these partnerships. But I think a lot of it is actually around like usage, adoption. Um, you know, the, when, you, when you really get into the partnerships, if folks are using your product and they're finding value in it and you're able to see those numbers continue to go up and to the right, um, you, you know, you're going to be yeah. able to, to monetize it at some point. I think that it's really understanding you know, how folks are leveraging your product or your platform in a way that's creating value for them. And so once you're able to to see that and you're able to track it, right, that's really where you want to continue to um, improve month over month. And so typically, you know, you want to see at least usage or utilization and adoption increase at least like 20 to 30 percent month over month. And so that's an easy way to be able to, yeah. to measure the health and success of partnerships. Um, you know, when it comes to revenue, I mean, you know, sky's the limit when it comes to to that. But, you know, I think that you want to set something reasonable from the get-go and get a better sense of what are the ways that other large cloud providers or partnerships have been structured in the past and what a potential partnership could see um, in an ideal world. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, any, any advice out there to like any aspiring sales leaders that are looking to climb the ladders? And, um, ultimately I think, I think, I think ultimately people think they want to become leaders and maybe until they do until they do it, then they maybe go back to, uh, being a sales rep, but the ones that, you know, are a good fit and, um, could be potential leaders, like what advice you got for them for those people out there? Yeah, I think it's really all about staying scrappy, staying hungry willing to roll yeah. up your sleeves, get involved. Um, I, th- I see the best sales leader as, as the ones that are willing to do anything from the job of an SDR, a BDR, all the way up to the job of a, a CEO, right? There is nothing that is uh, out of your responsibility when you're a sales leader. You're, you're responsible for everything. And you have a number on your head. Yeah. And you have to do whatever it takes to get the job done, to get the, to get the revenue. And I think that, you know, folks think that when they step up into management, that they're, 
that they are no longer have to to do cold outreach or that they no longer have to build collateral or <laughs> or work with customers and get case studies done but there is nothing i mean you you have to be able to do it all and if anything the best sales leaders make the best they're they are the B, the best reps they are the best sdrs they're the best bdrs they're the best marketers they're the best revenue operations they're the best ceos they they are able to do almost everything right and i've seen very successful yeah. cro's move into CEO positions and essentially run the business because they are able to do all facets of the business. They understand the business inside and out. And so I think that, you know, for anyone that's looking to move up into sales leadership, you know, become the best at all of these different areas of your craft and you will move up and you will be successful. I love that. I don't think you can go wrong with that advice, man. Hone your craft, um, keep getting better and, you know, you'll definitely rise to the top just I think pure effort wise, you'll you'll rise to the top. Well, totally. Dan, man, this has been a fun conversation. I know a ton of people are going to get a lot out of it. Um, man, we appreciate you jumping on with us. Likewise, Tyler. Thanks for uh, having me on the pod. And uh, yeah, man, let's do it again. Love it, and man. This is another episode of How the Grades Do It. You know, you can where you can watch it. Appreciate everybody. Peace.